Hey folks, you know, there's only two things in this world that scare me. One is prepubescent gym rats warming up on my project in front of me. You know, pad sniffers, smell like Skittles, small hands. And the other thing that scares me, lawyers. Nothing is more of a downer to your stoke than facing legal problems, and lawyers have made the whole thing more complicated than that 5-to-1 pulley system you used to haul Uncle Phil up that 5-7 on his birthday. But seriously, facing legal problems and finding a lawyer to help can be pretty gnarly. But Dan Markoff is here to help. Climber, lawyer, Enormacast fan, and partner at Atkins and Markoff, Dan has set up an email hotline to field your inquiries about any type of lawyer you might need. Family law, criminal, injury, bankruptcy, and a whole bunch of other arcane things that you never thought would happen to you right up until they did. Email climbinglawyer at gmail.com with inquiries. Dan knows this shit scares you too. Once again, that's climbinglawyer at gmail.com. All right, on to the show. We gotta get Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? You, are you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big place. That's, out. that's a big nice. place. You sold oh, it that's out. I'll see. We really should. Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed having them with you. We'll make it. I don't think so. But we shall continue with style. Good weather. Bad weather. Now or later, anytime. Hello and welcome to the Normal Cast. This is episode number 33, I believe, our Jesus episode, if you will. Although hopefully we'll make it past 33, unlike the G's. Well, depends on what you believe. Where were we? Oh yes, it is April 17th. It's about uh, 10.30 in the morning and it's still really cold in Colorado which is starting to piss a lot of people off in terms of climbing. On today's show is Jonathan Segrist, wonderkind Jonathan Segrist. And I know some people out there are like, what? Another sport climber, Calouse? Come on, where's our alpinists? Where are our old dudes? Where's Mark Twite? I get a lot of requests to try to find Mark Twite, but you go to Mark Twite's gym website. He owns a gym now, and it's really scary, actually. It's a pretty scary website, just kind of like Mark Twight himself. Anyway, Jonathan Segrist, back to Jonathan Segrist. There's a lot more to this kid than uh, I knew about, and hopefully this interview will convince you that there's a lot more to him than just those rad sport climbing videos that we see online all the time. So keep listening find out about Jonathan Segrist. Some news, though. It is the end of April, and as I mentioned last show in the intro, the Five Point Film Festival is coming up here in Carbondale, Colorado, and that's next weekend, 26th, 27th, 28th, or 25th, 26th, 27th, 28th. You can find out more about it at fivepointfilm.org. That's the number, fivepointfilm.org. And the news, in terms of the normal cast, is that I will be MC on Saturday night. The Saturday evening program will be MC'd by me should be exciting. There's going to be a conversation with some filmmakers in between the films, as well as a presentation from Kyle Dempster, Hayden Kennedy's partner up on the Ogre and his fellow recipient of the PLA Door, 
door, door. I just came from France. I still can't say it. In other news, on Saturday morning at 10 a.m. at a place called Steve's Guitars in downtown Carbondale will be the first ever live Enormacast. And uh, that should be interesting. Still actually kind of conceptualizing what that's going to be. So if you're in town for the film festival or if you're around or if you're a local, uh, stop by. I know it's early in the morning for a Saturday. It should be strange. But on tap, I've got Kelly Cordes, probably Jonathan Thiesinga, maybe even an appearance from our friend at Defiant Bean Roasters, Jeff Hollenbaugh. So come and check that out and find out what's going to happen. Maybe we'll continue to do that. We'll come to your town and do a live and normal cast if it goes well. Okay, what else is going on in the world of the Enormacast? Well, actually, we've been kind of blowing up lately. I'll be honest with you. It's been really exciting. There's a lot of new fans, a lot of new people downloading the show. And that has also garnished some interest from the quote-unquote industry. So we're bringing on some new sponsors. Black Diamond has decided to uh, kick a little bit of money down for the Enormacast to help us keep this thing going. And by us, of course, I still mean me. And also, Maxim Ropes is on board for some episodes. So I'm going to start including their names in the podcast here and there. And if you would, please consider patronizing those companies. You need great gear. Black Diamond makes great gear. You probably own some already, and you know that. And you also need ropes, and Maxim makes great ropes. So you can buy Black Diamond gear, and then you can clip it to Maxim Ropes. Also, if you feel like it, get on their website. Send them a message. Say, hey, thanks for supporting the Enormacast. Because if they hear that, they know they're getting their money's worth. And don't you dare forget about our friends at Defiant Bean Roasters. Go to defiantbean.com and enter Norma at checkout for a discount on some great coffee. And our other new sponsor, Atkins and Markoff, email climbinglawyer at gmail.com with questions, concerns, if you're looking for legal help. Okay, well, let's do this then. Let's get on to an interview with Jonathan Segrist. Jonathan Segrist actually has a pretty deep climbing pedigree. As you will learn, his dad was an active climber in Devil's Lake, Wisconsin, in Boulder over the years and brought his kid up to climb, even though it took a while for it to take. As I said earlier, while I think I've always known Jonathan Segrist for his really hard sport climbing, what I didn't know was that he's got a pretty deep resume in the mountains. He's also very avid root developer, which you know kind of puts him in the 2% in terms of rock climbers because the truth is is that the very few create most of the roots for the many, and he's one of those guys. And I think he's trying to build a legacy for the future, a place where people will look back and think about him as having pushed the sport forward with new roots, new ideas. And we also get into his tenure on the Don Wall, on the Freeing the Don Wall project with Tommy Caldwell, which is pretty fascinating as well. So kick back and check out my interview with Jonathan Segrist. I'm always really impressed too because when I meet people 
who like approach me in the gym or you know who approach me in some event or whatever and are like I'm the biggest fan you know I'm a huge fan of what you do and your work and your climbs and all these things I I just imagine for it to be like some kind of strange interaction but for the most part I'm just like I'm like, oh, hey, what's up? What's your name? Oh, Tom. Right. Where are you from? Mm -hmm. Oh, cool. And then we just get carry on with the same climbing banter as I would with anyone, you know? Sure. Yeah. And and then like moments later, I'm like, oh, like, it's cool that, you know, you're such a supporter of mine. But I mean, it's not like a weird thing at all. It's just awesome. It's like you're a friend already. Yeah. 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 I think I think it's I mean, that's good that you say that because I think there are plenty of people. And again, maybe a little bit older generation that they put out all this media uh, and I'm this kind of the same way when I first started doing this, and then all of a sudden they're yeah. they're surprised that people are reading it. <laughs> yeah, no, that know, definitely and know all about it, and yeah, and, you know, know every bit of it. Yeah, and so they, I think, you know, we think we're just like pissing into the wind right. with this stuff, but you know, you're, you're writing it because you want people to read it, and therefore, right, you're yeah. gonna someday run into that person that knows everything about you. Yeah, so, no, yeah, totally. it's kind of interesting, but totally. Anyhow, um, but yeah, we're started. Um, cool. We're this is uh, Roadway in Chronicles Part Five, <laughs> actually, on my on, ongoing uh, Roadway in in uh, a series. Um, Jonathan Segris has come on a really, quite honestly, and I, I try to stay positive on this show, but it's a disgusting. It is morning awful. in Salt Lake City. It is awful. I walked out the out of the house this morning with a good friend of mine, and we were both like totally taken aback, like this is happening like this 200 feet of visibility and it's 10 in the morning. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, it's like Beijing. I mean, yeah. the, the, the there's is. an inversion in Salt Lake city, which means all the pollution is trapped about 10 feet from the ground and you have <laughs> to kind of chew your way through the morning. So I think, thanks for coming out. Um, it's Saturday. It's day three or four of the winter outdoor retailer show. How long have you been here? Yeah. Um, yesterday was actually my first day. Oh, perfect. Yeah. I, I tend to be in and out and right. I haven't been to winter in a few years. So, right. um, yeah, I especially focused my energy on just two days of effort here. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I got here, uh, I got here on uh, a couple days ago, but in the afternoon and yeah, the hit it and quit it thing is, is super important. Yeah. The way the, to go. The trade show. And I've talked about it on the show before, but it's just a, you know, a con- collection of all the outdoor companies and the, mm-hmm. and the, uh, the climbing companies and there's, just endless chat and talking and I you know, generally I have a lot of fun mostly. Yeah, definitely. Because you see your friends, you know, I've run into some people I haven't seen in a really long time. Definitely. And, yeah. Or at least that I haven't seen since last time. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, so it can be a lot of fun, but it also can be really tiring. So I totally appreciate that you're here on on day three or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sitting of down course, to talk. Man. Thank so, you. Um So where are you based out of right now? <clears throat> so about two weeks ago, um, I quote unquote moved to Las Vegas, uh-huh. uh, but but moves versus trips versus traveling is all like totally warped together for me mm-hmm. at this point. I you know about I think it was like two years ago I stopped actually having a fixed address and just moved into a pickup truck mm-hmm. and I've been kind of just like floating since then. And I still definitely consider the Front Range in Boulder, Colorado is like kind of my home base and that's okay. where my parents live and that's where a lot of my community is and, um, you know, that's where I lived for 16 years or so. Okay. But nowadays I actually spend more time 
per year in Las Vegas than I do anywhere else. So I guess that Vegas is my home. I don't know. I do definitely feel at home there. I like it a lot. I've been there in the winter for the last three years. Mm -hmm. Well, let's back up then. And so you grew up in in Boulder or spent sort of your formative years there? You said you were there for 16 years. Yeah, I was there. You're 27 now? Is that what you said? Yeah, Yeah. I turned 27 this last August. Mm -hmm. And uh, I... Yeah, I was born in Madison, Wisconsin, and... Yeah, Green Bay, yo. Yeah, Green Bay, for <laughs> sure. I mean, they're out of the playoffs, so I think we should probably oh, well. keep that. Yeah, no, I mean, too. I was born there. Were you? Yeah, I was born you in Green Bay. You were born Bay. in Green Bay. Yeah, Dude, total that's she sick. said, bro. That's, that's nice. awesome. Did you Respect. Madison listeners know that he was born in Madison? It happened. All right, cool. <laughs> I, I love Madison, yeah. man. It's fun. But I only lived there for a few years, and then uh, my parents and I actually moved to Norway uh, randomly. Um, my dad had a job opportunity there and we were there for a little while. Um, I think year and a half or so. And then as a little kid, as a kid, yeah, Yeah. I was like four or five. Right. Um, and then we moved to Oak Ridge, Tennessee, actually pretty random, but my dad had all these strange opportunities with work and we really just like took advantage. My parents Mm -hmm. have always, I'm an only child and we were always like a little tight little unit of three. And, uh, they always really encouraged me to travel and always super encouraging of, you know, any passions that I had or any kind of like adventurous, anything mm-hmm. I had going on. So, um, yeah, we traveled a lot when I was young and then we moved to Boulder. I think I was in like fourth grade, fifth grade, something like that. Um, and then I've been more or less in Boulder ever since I went to high school there and then I, uh, went to college there eventually as well. Okay. What did you, uh, when did climbing fit into all this? So my dad's been a climber for like over 30 years. Okay. Uh, he was there. This might be a very core group, but anyone in Madison who goes to UW and knows of the hoofers is an outdoor group that kind of functions out of UW Madison. They do a lot of trips to like devil's lake Mm -hmm. and, you know, they do boating trips and all this stuff. Anyways, that's where my parents met is in that group. And that's where kind of my dad learned to climb and he met a lot of friends there. He's still very good friends with. And so he's been in the climbing community for a long time. And as I was growing up, you know, I was around climbers and I was around climbing culture Mm -hmm. and, uh, it was always something that I knew pretty well. And we, you know, he took me up like five, six, five, seven classics. I did the diamond on Long's Peak when I was like nine years old. And, um, I've done, you know, I did the pair buttress at Lumpy Ridge mm-hmm. when I was like, you know, probably like seven or something right like that. Um, but for the most part, you know, climbing was like, you know, it's like hunting or something. I imagine for a lot of people in okay. America, it was like that thing you do every October for a couple of days, but you know, it's nothing that you're passionate about per se when you're young. Right. It was when I was 18 that I really, after I graduated from high school that I really like was enthralled with climbing and that's uh-huh. when it all started for me. Okay. So. So yeah, I've been climbing like a, uh, almost nine years now. Uh huh. Wow, that's really interesting. I, I some for some reason had imagined you, you know, cruising up, you know, in that scene in Boulder and climbing in the gym and like being some hardcore little thirteen year old crusher. Totally, and yeah. And I and you know, I made up for all the years that I missed uh-huh. in between, like the years of for me being eighteen and being twenty three or whatever. I uh-huh. literally lived at the Boulder Rock Club. I mean, okay. I worked there as a root setter. And I climbed, no joke, five days a week, six days a week, every week for years. And yeah, so I was certainly a, a, a bona fide gym rat for a number of years. Mm-hmm. But but no, I did not, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't know the difference between 
you know, sport climbing and trad climbing until I was 18. I okay. didn't really know. I mean, I knew what it was like to go out with my dad and, and pull trad gear out of a crack, uh-huh. but I didn't really know much about climbing as far as like the technical aspects or, or what I was getting into. It was just kind of like some adventure thing I did with my dad. Uh-huh. So yeah. what do you think? Uh, I mean, can you point to something that that changed your mind about it? Like what happened when you were 18? What happened when you graduated? Yeah. So that's a cool question. So I graduated from high school in 2003 and I was really looking forward to having a year off. And I just took a year, you know, in between studies to kind of travel. And for the first half, I moved back to Norway. I did some traveling in Southeast Asia. And then for the second half, kind of going into the spring of 2004, I was really interested in big mountains, mountaineering, peak bagging. I was like aspiring to do all the 14ers in Colorado. Unfortunately, I never did. I did like 30 something, but I didn't make it all. But you still have a long life. I know. I I hope hope one day I can finish them off. (laughs) So I actually did a Knowles course in the Himalaya and I was there for about seven weeks. It was a Himalayan mountaineering course. And that was exactly what I was psyched on. Like, you know, this was during a time I was more like looking up to Steve House and, you know, like this kind of this kind of athlete really psyched on big mountains, mountaineering. And I planned a trip with my dad after I got back from India to go to Peru and climb some bigger peaks in the Cordillera Blanca. And so we had this whole trip set up. It was about three weeks. We flew down to Peru. We went to Juarez. We did the whole thing. And we were planning on doing like... um, Artisan Rahu, and I think we're going to try and do uh, Ron Ron Rapalka, I think, is another one down there. There was a couple that we were going to try and do, Mm -hmm. uh, Karaz 1 or Karaz 2, I can't remember exactly. But basically, it ended up being a really bad snow year, and uh, people were, you know, there were teams like dying in avalanches and stuff like this. So naturally, my dad wasn't like too thrilled to go up the snowy peaks with me. We were in um, a valley... And I want to say it was the Ashinka Valley, but I'm not, I can't remember exactly. I think it was the Ashinka Valley um, or one of the neighboring valleys in Mm -hmm. the Cordillera Blanca. It was clear that the reason why we went there uh, was dangerous and stupid and whatever. There's this other thing on the opposite side of the valley that's called the Sphinx. Right. uh, La Sphinge. Mm -hmm. And my dad was an avid climber and I was, you know, I had like climbed a little bit, but I don't, I can distinctly remember there was a day where they all went sport climbing in Juarez and I was like, I'd much rather go mountain biking, you know, like I wasn't stoked on climbing. Wow, that's yet. really interesting. Yeah. yeah. And so I was, I was, you know, mostly there to just like trudge up peaks and get freezing cold and suffer. And my dad was like, well, we can't do anything else, you know, like, let's just, let's go for it, man. Let's do, this is a 22 pitch massive big wall at elevation too. I think the base of the climb is like 13,500 feet. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and you know, my dad was convinced that I had the skills necessary. I guess I had followed him on enough, like five sevens and stuff. Um, this thing was 11 plus though, you know, again, beginning at super high altitude, super long day. We did it in a day. Uh, we, we set up base camp near the base of the wall and then, um, we woke up super early and he led every single pitch. I literally followed the entire thing. I was like screaming, you know, my guts out on five, eight pitches at the very top, you know, a 17 hour day, absolutely heinous. Um, I couldn't follow the two 11 plus pitches. You know, I was like, like trying absolutely as hard as possible, but I, I barely managed the five, 10 pitches, but the 11 pitches were like, you know, I'd get within 20 feet of the anchor and just like totally flail, you know, lose everything, totally blown out. But yeah, we topped out in the dark and 
you know, totally epic, trying to make our way off and everything. But uh, it was a super memorable experience. And I don't know. I, I honestly think that some part of me was like, whoa, like climbing is badass. You know, like rock climbing is super cool. I remember having all the exposure and taking all kinds of cool photos of us hanging off the cliff. And, you know, my dad obviously had like an incredible time because he was really pleased that I was able to make it up. And, uh-huh. um, and, and it was cool, you know, and, and I think from that point forward, I, I kind of looked at climbing a little bit differently. And I also felt like I had like this badass climbing achievement under my belt and I hadn't even really climbed a whole lot yet. You know, I was probably bouldering like V3 or something at the time. Right. Um, and wow, when you I kind of cheated, I did. I totally yeah, I mean, that's cheated. That's awesome. But yeah, it's like, I totally you cheated. Know, you did this thing that like people would put out as like this 10 year goal, like in the middle of the right. climbing career, you know? Right. No, it's, yeah. it's crazy. I totally cheated. And then we got back to Colorado and I got more and more interested in bouldering and, uh, it continued where it was a really cool cycle where my dad would drag me. Well, you know, I was in, I was psyched too, but my dad would drag me up the diamond leading every pitch, you mm-hmm. know, like we went and did the yellow wall, which was, uh, my second round on the diamond. I'd done one when I was really young, but it was my, my first like actual, like legitimate rock climbing route on the diamond. And we went up the yellow wall and he led every single pitch, you uh-huh. know, and it gradually transitioned into this really cool process where then the next year we came back and did D7 and I led all the crux pitches, you know, right. and then the following year, two years later, we came back and did Eroica and I led almost every pitch. And then this last summer, you know, I got back on the diamond and did the honeymoon is over and I did all the climbing and he just followed me and, and helped me, you know, supported me on the climb. So it was cool to see in that way, things change and. And I always look back to that trip that we had in Peru. It's like one of my first like legitimate rock climbing experiences. So it was pretty cool. It's totally legit rock yeah, climbing yeah. experience, dude. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, yeah, let's do this thing, this like life goal for a lot of people. Just, <laughs> yeah, whatever, you know. Well, that's pretty awesome. I mean, yeah. You know, listening to you, uh, close friends with, with Michael and Hayden Kennedy, and Michael always jokes mm-hmm. about that process of, of, of his son passing him, you know, and suddenly you know, switching the totally. leads and pretty soon, like, you know, he's not able to keep up or jugging, but it sounds like your dad's pretty badass too. I mean, it sounds like this guy yeah. can climb. No, What's his he name? can climb real What's well. What's his first name? Bob Segrist. Right on. Yeah. yeah. And he's, uh, he'll be 63 in February this year, but I mean, he's still I should like, have him on the show. Dude, he would yeah. love that. Yeah. yeah. That'd be awesome. Yeah. It yeah. sounds like, I mean, what a great history too, because the Devil's Lake is so steeped in lore as well, you know, dude. And he I mean, and he can talk Devil's Lake for days too. Mm-hmm. Especially give him a beer and a few shots, and he'll go. All, all right, no, this sounds like fun. <laughs> you know, it's like it's interesting too because looking at the history of like free climbing anyway, in in the seventies, there was you know obviously Yosemite and Boulder, but yeah, but Devil's Lake was like this little place, even storied even back then. Yeah, you know, kind of a bigger reputation than. Then maybe the size of the place kind of would warrant normally, but totally, yeah. You read like you know Jim Erickson came out of there and all totally, these all these yeah. rad people. So, um, so that's cool. He moved to Boulder, like you know, from one place to the next. Right, know? right, so. yeah. And you know, I think when he learning to climb in Wisconsin, you know, I think they they he would tell me about these epic trips they had where they would you know get in the car on Friday at like you know, 6 p.m. after class and drive all night and then camp at the base of the Bastille in Eldo and, like, just crush laps on the Bastille. This is, like, in the 80s, you know, early Mm -hmm. 80s, like, late 70s, and just, uh, you know, climb all weekend, climb their ass off, and then, like, 
you know, put back a couple beers on Sunday night and like take the drive all the way back to Wisconsin and have class again on Monday. Like epic stuff like that. Right. I'm just like, man, you guys loved rock climbing so much more than I ever have. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, man, you could, you did that. Oh my God. They had to work for it. I for know. Sure. I complain about like an hour long commute. Uh-huh. <laughs> totally. <laughs> the, the the road way in is a little bit loud this morning. I think they're vacuuming upstairs. Ho- hopefully, I can get rid of that. So let's just keep going. Yeah, this is the, the problem with not having a, a, a Salt Lake uh, City studios. I got to run this place. So okay, so that's awesome. So now you know honeymoon is over. Something that you how recent was that? Um, that was this past August. Okay, and that's a that's a I think the hardest free route on the diamond. Yeah, currently. Yeah, yeah. currently. Uh, mm-hmm. Tommy Caldwell, am I right? Yep. Yeah, originally. he did in so. 2001. Okay, so now this is this is really interesting to me. I, I, you know, again, I know your sort of current state of affairs. I didn't know anything about you climbing, and this is fascinating that you're, like I said, you've got this huge background that I hadn't guessed at at all. <laughs> and uh, cool. maybe a lot of people don't know about it, or maybe I'm just an idiot. I don't know. But so really, you know, um, thinking about, the Dawn Wall, which is something that you got roped into uh, literally and figuratively this last fall, <laughs> is this a natural progression? I mean, I think a lot of people thought maybe you you know, were just kind of plucked out of the sport climbing world because of how good a, good a climber you are in that world, but this is nothing right. new for you. Um, n- no. You, you know, I mean, well, I should start by saying that, that going to the valley, climbing on the Dawn Wall – Climbing with Tommy, approaching something, you know, I, that was all new to me. I mean, it's, it's real. I'd never been to the Valley and, sure. it, and it was, and it was such a, it felt really new. I mean, as anyone knows who's climbed there, even just like getting up, you know, five elevens in the Valley is totally different from what, you know, what I may have done otherwise, but no, I, you're absolutely right. I mean, I have been kind of dreaming of taking my climbing to bigger and bigger places, bigger and bigger venues, mm-hmm. um, for years, but it was something that I wasn't, I didn't feel that I was quite ready for yet. And I still have goals in the sport climbing world for sure. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I was basically in, I was literally in Idaho this last, uh, September and I was, you know, doing some new sport routes and, and I did a new trad route up there or whatever, just single pitch stuff. And I got an email from Tommy basically being like, Hey, great job on the honeymoon. You know, would you want to come with me to the Dawn wall this fall? And I'm like, Whoa, like, I mean, I can't say no. Yeah. You know, that's I, awesome. Cause I, I was wondering if, you know, how close a relationship you have or if it was something you had talked about, or I was wondering kind of if you, if you, it was like getting called up from the miners, like, uh, Caldwell's on line one. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, we, you know, Tommy and I had known each other and we, um, we've worked at a couple events together and we've climbed a little bit, but you know, we didn't know each other that well. Mm-hmm. I I've been, uh, Tommy's been one of my primary inspirations and in, in like rock climbing heroes for my whole career. I mean, I grew up, um, my parents and I went to Estes park every August for my whole life, literally. Okay. Um, cause my dad was such an enthusiastic climber. And so between like knowing ins and outs of Estes and growing up, at least growing up climbing from 18 in Boulder, you know, all of the hardest routes around were Tommy's. And so I I looked up to him a lot. And uh, so I knew of him, obviously, but we hadn't really developed much of a relationship yet. You know, I think that, you know, he was psyched that I did the first repeat of his route on the diamond. And 
I think, you know, Kevin was going to sit out this season or, or at least for the most part. And so he, yeah, he just kind of went out on a limb and asked me. And, and I, I guess, I mean, talking to him after the fact, I didn't, I, it seems like he was pretty surprised that I actually said yes, but, okay. but I was, um, you know, I just, I saw it as an incredible opportunity and, you know, had I chose that path for myself, I probably would have been like, oh, you know, I'll, I'm, I had plans to go to the new into the red for the fall. Right. Um, but I couldn't, I mean, I couldn't say no. It was like, it was like an amazing opportunity. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it may have come a little earlier than, than I would have predicted, but you know, that's where I want the direction of my climbing to go. Yosemite, bigger and bigger walls. And, um, if, you know, I can't, I can't say no to an opportunity like that. And so, so I, what, what I mean, was, uh, what, what was surprising about getting up there and being on that route for you? Oh man. I mean, I tried to go with no expectations. Um, I mean, I, I tried to leave all of my expectations behind cause I knew that Yosemite was going to be a totally different style. I knew that it was going to be really difficult for me. I knew that, you know, I'd been up high on a number of routes. I'd climbed the diamond a bunch of times. I'd climbed a handful of other, like, you know, big walls, but mm-hmm. nothing quite like the size of uh, the captain. And so I I literally left saying, hey, I'm going to go and be a good friend of Tommy's. I'm going to support him on this incredible project. Uh, I'm going to like try hard and hopefully have a really fun time for six weeks. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't go saying, you know, of course then my, some of my peers were like, Oh, you know, you're going to take this thing down or it's going to be so easy for you, blah, blah, blah. And I absolutely didn't listen to a word they had to say, you know, sure. I was more just like, I'm going to go and have a good time and we'll see, we'll see how it goes kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you know, I mean, it's it's hard not to be inspired up there, and it's especially climbing with Tommy. It was super fun, and and uh, we had a great dynamic the whole time. We got along really, really well. And in the end, you know, I ended up doing more climbing and doing much better on it than I ever expected. So uh-huh. I think it really helped. You know, climbing is so mental, and sure. I think it it helps me with single pitch sport climbs, let alone like something as huge and daunting as the Dawn Wall to kind of leave expectations at home. You know. And I think that was a really helpful attitude for me to go to the valley with. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I, I just, I, that, that's been an ongoing thing. And if I assume people listening to this consume enough climbing media that they know what we're talking about. But just in case, you know, Tommy Caldwell has been in a protracted multi-year battle trying to free mm-hmm. um, what is essentially, you know, a slight variation to what's essentially the Dawn Wall on El Cap, you know, with some free climbing variations and whatnot. Um, and that's what we're talking about is, is Jonathan was the recent partner this fall as the weather, uh, as it got cool enough to be up there free climbing. Um, and this is a multiple 514, maybe harder pitch, uh, you know, what, like probably 30 some pitches all, all told. Yeah. I mean, it's over 30, it's like 32 or something like that. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I've seen plenty of videos of you. I've seen, uh, plenty of pictures of you climbing steep relatively steep you know edgy hold oriented sport (laughs) climbs so and then you know we i look at pictures even from the past on that of what's you know this is the a 14a pitch on on the dawn wall this is a 14b pitch and or a 13d pitch and you know they're vertical they're a rounded weird corner like totally and no feet like the feet is what just blows my mind on those things absolutely i mean can you describe sort of like the first time you kind of got into that up there and what, what, what you sort of were facing in terms of this, the switch from the kind of climbing that you were sort of used to? 
it was funny, you know, day one, I lit and Tommy gives me shit about this, which is awesome. But I, I was driving in from Tuolumne Meadows mm-hmm. and anyone who's been in the Valley, you know, that's kind of an upper entrance. Uh, Cause I was coming from Colorado and I'm texting back and forth to Tommy planning to meet him, you know, at noon in the, in the meadow or whatever in the, in uh, El Cap meadow. Okay. I'm like texting him saying like, Hey, you know, how do you get to the meadow? Like, will I know when I'm at the meadow, <laughs> how do you get there? <laughs> like, wait, is there, is there a way like, you know, how do you do? And he's like, totally, totally like humbling me, you know, and just being like, you know, oh, here are the directions to the meadow, you know, mm-hmm. turn left, turn right, turn right. And I'm like driving into the valley proper and, you know, setting my eyes first, first sight on, on the captain and just totally blown away. Um, I, I found the meadow. It's pretty easy to find. Yeah. <laughs> well, there is the weird looping one way <clears throat> direction thing. So, yeah. yeah, but regardless, <laughs> he, he gave me, he gave me shit about that, which is hilarious. But then, and, I mean, I, I said, I, I set foot out of my car and he was like, all right, let's do this. I'm like rolling into Yosemite for the first time, mm-hmm. having just looked at the captain for mm-hmm. 10 minutes only. And he's like, yeah, dude, let's do it. So, I mean, my first experience in, in the Valley was like a, you know, mid five twelve. 45 degree slab, you know, at the base of the sure, wall. sure at the um, down on the slabs there. We, yeah, within an hour of you know arriving in Yosemite at all, mm-hmm. and so it was pretty. It was pretty much right away that mm-hmm. I had to be like, all right, like this is like you know, this feet. is what's like, up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Up the polished slab, yeah. <laughs> squeaky feet and and like you said, no feet, no holes. Um, and you know it was it was a gradual process for me but i i think i came around to the style relatively quickly and you know of course i'm not by any means a pro you know i think there are people who climb in the valley for 10 years and and still have much to learn about how to climb up those features but but yeah it was gradual and and it was really difficult at first i mean it's you know i just tried to be patient and you know take as much advice mm-hmm. as i could from tommy and um you know it's not the kind of climbing that you can just thug your way through it's it's if you don't know, if you don't climb it right, it doesn't matter how strong you are. Sure. And, yeah. and there's all these incredible valley climbers who, you know, aren't that strong. And I mean that in a, in, in a endearing way, you know, sure. it's like, they're not very strong, but they can climb so well that mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. They climb with such grace and, you know, with such incredible ability and attention to detail that. It, you know, strength isn't as much of an issue, and that's sure. so cool. And and I'm not saying that the Don Wall doesn't take strength, because of course it does, absolutely. Right. But, yeah, five fourteen is five fourteen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, looking back at that experience, when I first got there, the first three weeks or so I spent on the Don Wall, it was the most amount of learning in my climbing that I've experienced in so long. You right. know, when you begin to climb, the learning curve is incredible. You know, you're learning new words. You're you know, you're learning what a drop knee is or cramp or how to do this, how to do that. And that's so exciting. And I think that's part of the reason why people get so lured into climbing in their first couple of years. But for me, I hadn't had that kind of learning experience for a while. And being on the Donwell, it was like every day was just how many things could I learn, you know? It was amazing. Oh, that's okay. We're, I would ask for just a slightly later. Okay. At noon? Okay. See you later. <laughs> Oh, it's all good. <clears throat> Dude, it's good character. Yeah, no, it totally is. We got all that, so. Um, cool. So one quack, 
One quick last question <laughs> about the Don Wall, yeah. um, and then we'll move on. Is so, what were the the finally the problems that you ran into up there that that shut you down? Was it just the end of the season? I mean, every, every year it seems like something else right, happens or right. whatever. Or maybe it's just still still something that's that's too hard yet. It it is it is very very difficult um, for sure. I don't think that it's too hard. No, and I, and I absolutely think that um, you know a lot of people ask me how close we were or, you know, uh, you know, all these kind of things, but it, it, the route goes, no question. Sure. I mean, the, the way that we made progress and just every year, you know, Tommy just like kind of takes a, just stacks up a little bit higher to this, you know, intimidating, uh, opponent. Mm -hmm. And it, it's really cool. It's a really beautiful process to see it all come together we our plan for this year was to climb specifically on the three hardest pitches, which is pitch fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen, and they're all exceptionally difficult. It's uh, the Dyke Traverse is the way a lot of people know of it, um, and it's it's no holds climbing. I mean, at its best, it's it's so difficult. The footwork is absolutely absurdly difficult, and. Uh, you know, it takes so much attention to detail, so much body positioning and these kind of things to even move across the wall. And, and you know, we, we worked really hard. We were up there for a number of weeks, more or less, just focusing our energy just on these climbs, you know. And, I mean, it, it's like one thing to project a sport pitch on the ground, uh, <laughs> yeah. but it's another thing to deal with all the logistics of being on the wall. And, mm -hmm. and these are, again, you know, this is middle of the wall. We're talking like pitch 15. Right, so, almost directly in the middle. Of yeah, yeah, which is... It must be about 30 pitches or... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and I mean, it, it could not be a bigger pain in the ass. You know, if it was three pitches from the top, that'd be sure. great. If it was, you know, even eight pitches from the bottom, that would be great too. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, you know, we made really, really good progress. I felt really strong on pitch 14, which we estimate to be probably the hardest on the route. Okay. Um, and it's just, man, you know, conditions need to line up. Everything needs to line right. up. Tommy was looking exceptional on pitch 15 and also really, really good on pitch 14. And, uh, you know, then pitch 16 is the ballistic dyno. And, and Tommy and I both kind of beat our heads against the wall for a while. But Kevin came in and, you know, he was there for a few days and ended up sticking that thing like within a matter of tries. So that was amazing to see. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was cool, you know. And, and in the end, I felt psyched and i really felt like something big was going to happen i thought that you know i could maybe free pitch 14 and tommy could maybe take down pitch 15 and then kevin pitch 16 i mean how cool would that be right you know? um but our, our trip was cut about five or six days short because of the weather and uh and you know also you just get kind of beat down i mean we were there for six weeks and you know, just the process of going up and down the wall and, and Tommy's skin was starting to just totally, I mean, Tommy's skin was completely blown and you just get, it's just hard. It's, it's a lot of hard work. Sure. You know? And most of the rock climbers leave in late October and, you know, November, the valley starts to get bitter cold and it's super dark and all these things. So, at, you know, we, we, we were inspired to keep climbing, but a pretty big storm came, and sure. like I said, and we were kind of just like, well, eventually, there. yeah, it clo the yeah. door closes. Yeah, exactly. For sure. So. so awesome. Well, I'm glad you were so stoked on it. I mean, you know, it's, it will be, is whatever, however you want to look at it, you know, the greatest rock climb in the world. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, free climb. Yeah. You know, eventually. So it's pretty crazy just to be, to me again, and this is the kind of attitude I tried to, um, cultivate while i was there and mm -hmm. before and after the trip 
just to be a part of something like this is so cool to me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'll go back to the Valley this fall and I just want to be a part of it. You know, I don't need to be the one that does it or whatever. I just want to be there supporting the the effort. And, you know, if I do do well on it or if things happen Mm -hmm. well for me, that'd be really cool. But I just want to be involved in something this cool because it's not that very often that anyone, even someone like me who gets to climb all year gets to be, you know, a part of something like this big. Well, it's, it's, it's not very often because it's almost never happened. Before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I guess that's, that you know, be... this kind of climbing, uh, in, in, in a place like that, I mean, this is the pinnacle of it all. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, this, this co uh, coalescence of, of free climbing on El Cap or mm-hmm. free climbing on these big wall routes is, you know, it continues to keep going. And right now this is the pinnacle of it. So, yeah. yeah so that, uh, you know, I wish you guys all the luck in the world on that. I think everybody Thanks, in climbing is, you know, excited about it and listening to it when it's happening. So hopefully yeah, it's um, pretty cool. Hopefully y'all will keep your motivation up to keep going back. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, who knows? Like 10 years from now, dude, you know, I don't know. Tommy will have like this crazy beard and crazy hair and like, well, dude, the, nobody will be answering his phone calls. Cause they don't want to go up there with him anymore. <laughs> the, the beauty is, and I don't want to totally blow his scene out or anything, but in 10 years, Tommy will have a nine year old boy. Ah, yeah. 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 Word on the street. Becca's so. expecting in April. Yeah, so yeah. by then, you know, we'll all just freaking retire and that dude yeah. can start well, that, working yeah. on it. <laughs> the next generation, I suppose. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, let me, let me, let's switch gears then to sort of uh, your current thing. You're, you know, I watched a, a video of you climbing an Arrow Canyon down in, in, mm. in Las Vegas. And I kind of wanted to ask you about the exploration down there yeah. of, of, this, of the new stuff you guys are finding. I lived in Vegas um, for a short time shoot it was like 1997 or 98 oh cool and there was some you know there were roots in arrow canyon um like some folks had just started to sort of discover it and you know everybody knows about maybe mount charleston obviously red rocks yeah uh but what i after i I was there for a while i came back saying like you know within 50 miles of vegas Oh. are a thousand cliffs to be developed. Like, Absolutely. There, there's so much limestone. And the other thing I did before I left is I I took a road trip. Um, I just had a, took my four-wheel drive Toyota and we drove mm. basically north from Vegas all the way up to Ely. Yeah. But taking a bunch of back roads and, and gravel roads and up in, into some peaks. And it's really incredible the amount of limestone, you know, that you see just off in the distance. Now, some of it's, you're right on the edge of some of those proving grounds and you can't necessarily go in there because it's a military land. Right. But there, there seem to be just an endless amount of, of possibilities if people want to go in and explore up there. Are, are you guys finding that still? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think you nailed it. I, for me, new routes, exploring new sport cliffs, even single pitch trad, but just just making contributions, new routes, new cliffs, new areas, bushwhacking, bolting, getting filthy, you know, and climbing new things. That is absolutely my number one drive. And I've been looking a lot in the U.S. and I've never seen as much potential as Nevada and Kentucky. Like those are the two zones. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, in the East and Kentucky, you know, it's access is a huge issue. Right. Whereas in the West, you know, you have uh, land management is much easier Mm -hmm. to deal with in the West. And so Nevada is really inspirational for me. And I, and like you said, I mean, I think a hundred miles within Vegas in every direction, there's 
a lifetime, five lifetimes. Right. It, that's just there. I mean, if you drive north, like you said, to Ely or up to Reno, it, you have, you're looking at an entire state that's essentially desolate. Yeah. And it's, and it's basically a, a huge uplifted limestone escarpment. Exactly. I mean, I, I swear to God that, that, at least a, a mini Verdon is out there somewhere. Seriously, yeah. There I wouldn't probably be surprised is, at all. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's like, you know, radioactive because they drop nuke bomb, <laughs> yeah, exactly. nuclear bombs on it. But it's, <laughs> it's, it's, there's some big limestone cliffs out there that no yeah. one's ever noticed, you know. For sure. And, and, um, there's, there's so much going on in that area. And it just, I can't believe that people are still sleeping on it. Like, it's, it's incredible to me that I have to, like, explain myself when I tell, when I tell people in the climbing community and I'm not even talking about just like, you know, cool, interesting people I talk to at at events or I'm talking about like pros. I'm like, Oh, I'm living in Vegas until April. And they're like, Oh, like red rocks. Yeah. Dude, get on the train. You have like established areas. There's Mount Clark, Mm -hmm. Mount Potosi, Mount Charleston, robbers roost, red rocks, arrow Canyon, you know, the VRG, those are just like off the top of my head. Those are established areas within an hour's drive of, mm-hmm. of Vegas. And aside from that, you have mountains of limestone and a really small community of people, literally a couple people who are even ballsy enough to go and explore. Right. And so the opportunity there for new routes is among the highest in the country, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're you're definitely getting dirty. Uh, there are still land access issues. It's not like everywhere. It's just like totally open to bolting. You know, there's complications as there always sure. is. Um, but I do think that, you know, it's, it's, it's super inspirational for me and I'll be going back to Vegas for a number of years to come for sure. Yeah. And you know, there was a quote in, in, in that, in the La Rive, La Rave, La Rave, yeah. La Rave video that, you know, you said, you know, you look for adventure and sport climbing and yeah. a lot of folks would, sort of scoff at that or, 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 you know, get on their trad, trad climbing high horse <laughs> and say there is no such thing. But yeah, truly, you know, having, uh, as a person who's bolted multi-pitch, uh, bolted routes, you know, mm-hmm. essentially multi-pitch sport climbs. Yeah. You, there's a hell of a lot of adventure Dude, in sport so climbing. Much. Yeah. If you want to walk aways and then, you know, the bolting, even of a single pitch steep climb on a new cliff, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it can be terrifying. It can be an immense amount of work. Yeah. Um, it, it honestly can feel like you're big wall climbing in the sense of like how thrashed you feel at the end of the day. Totally. And, you know, so it's it's definitely out there, and you're pulling blocks off, and you know, anytime you're yeah. swinging around on fixed lines all day with power tools in your hand, like, <laughs> you feel pretty badass. Yeah, totally. And I, and I noticed even and that roots a, a ways off the ground. You know, you you start up a little ways, and yeah, totally. But yeah, I mean, anybody who hasn't done it hasn't gone somewhere remote and bolted, you know, a steep climb. They don't know what they're talking about when they say it's not adventurous because it, it's super adventurous. Right. Yeah. I, every time I, you know, I have a dog, Zeke, and he's like my little companion. But for the most part, you know, the bolting thing is I, I'm alone. And well, sure. That's an aspect of it, too. Yeah, it's that cool. I want to mention is that yeah. you're generally by yourself because there's there's no reason to have somebody else there. And oftentimes it's dangerous if they're anywhere below you. Anyway. Exactly. Yeah. And Zeke's real, he's become real hip to it. I mean, he knows, like, when he hears rock fall, he'll, like, run, you know? Sure, it's well, great. that's good. That's a good, good. But, um, But, you know, I, I was going to say, like, I, when I go out alone, you know, hike in 45 minutes, I've got, you know, a 50-pound backpack, and I'm, you know, 
putting in little bolts on top of some cliff trying to wrap down or, you know, bolting ground up. I don't know. It's like I feel thorough sense of adventure. I mean, I think it's like I'm not proud of this, but it's definitely like the most dangerous thing I do in rock climbing. Like those are the times where I'm like, ah, oh, I, I tell people where I'm going, you know, sure. and, I, and I try and keep my phone on and stuff. But like even dangling off the Dawn wall, I like feel way more comfortable than the moments where I'm like, oh man, is this a bad idea? Is when I'm like wrapping off some massive cave, not sure if my rope's touching the ground, you know, with all, like that to me, I'm not saying that I like encourage danger or anything mm-hmm. like that, but that kind of, that's like, you feel like you did something. It's like an adventure at the end of the day. And then the coolest thing is when you can get filthy, covered in rock dust, you know, banging off big plates because you truly are creating something. Sure. I mean, uh, let me preface that like by short saying of that like chipping, I, yeah. I never have, <laughs> have made holds anywhere and I never plan to. But, um, you know, you're, you're, you find this cliff and it can be something beautiful to you. But man, there's nothing like the feeling of seeing quick draws hanging down the cliff and then chalk and then envisioning sequences and then doing it mm-hmm. and then sharing it with the community. I mean, sure. that is a, such a cool process, you know, and, and that to me is like one of the coolest adventures, I think. Yeah. You know, last summer sitting right here on the roadway in, you know, Randy Levitt talked about that exact same process, almost in the exact same way of, yeah. of seeing this thing, you know, that's not there, but you see it in your mind's eye and then you sort of create it. Yeah. And and then sharing it with people. So, yeah, totally. And I mean, he talk about visionary. Yeah. Guys, Randy, man, he had a vision and it's pretty cool. Yeah. You must have climbed on his roots up in, up in, uh, at Clark, obviously, and up in, uh, at the VRG. So, yeah, no, I'm a huge Randy Levitt fan. His roots at the VRG are some of my favorite of all time for sure. Well, cool. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, like I said, it, it's been like 15 years since I was there, and and I was, you know, a, I, that actually was the birth of my sport climbing was oh, was cool. being there. Cool. Um, I wasn't, you know, much of a sport climber even then, but but I sort of saw that vision of like, well, somebody's going to come in here and there's it's going to explode again, you know, right. because some of those guys, Dan McQuaid, is that his name? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but like some guys like Dan McQuaid had already had this like, you know, vision in this, in this kind of pushing forward. But when yeah. I was there, it felt like it had slowed down again, you know, to where everybody was pretty content to climb on what was already there. Right. And, and that trip up North was right before I left. And I was like, wow, there's, there's an amazing amount of stuff out here. So the community in Vegas is growing. It still just shocks me how little people know about the area. I mean, even just to go to Mount Charleston, which is an exceptional climbing area with tons of history. Hmm. Mount Charleston has some of the most difficult terrain of any crag in the country, right. literally. And you still can go up there almost any day of the week and there'll be like very few people. Sure. It's crazy. Sure. So I'd love to see the Vegas community continue to grow. And, um, you know, I think people will eventually catch on and, and, and there are more and more people who are enthusiastic about new routes. But like I said, even the established climbing that's there is like, it's essentially an all year round climbing area and sure. people just don't get it. It's, right. Yeah, because I was there actually mostly in the summer. Yeah. And um, there's plenty to do. Plenty you know? to do, yeah. You've got to yeah. put up a little heat, but yeah, as long as you get up up, up to Charleston or even Clark, you could climb up there pretty late into the into June so right. um, without too much trouble. All right, let's switch gears <laughs> again because uh, we're, getting, we're getting on here in the, in the interview. But can you talk about sort of your inspirations and mentors in terms of climbing? You know, you've mentioned Tommy as an inspiration, your dad. Uh, what else – you know, were you into when you were working through those gym years and, and coming into your own as a climber? 
or even areas that you maybe dreamed of going. Yeah, to, you know? yeah. I I was super impressionable. I mean, I came from like a skate skating background. I skated a bunch when I was a kid. I was okay. a little punk, and then I did some mountain bike racing for a few years. And so I was like, I always looked up to pros and I always had my room covered in posters of, you know, anything. And I, I was, when I got into climbing, it was the same way. And I, and I looked up to a lot of people, you know, Tommy was a huge inspiration. I really liked some of the kind of, I was really inspired by history too. I always have been. And so like, I really looked up to Colin Lance actually, who was, who was a a cutting edge climber at the time who did a lot of stuff around the Colorado area. Um, and then, you know, I was a huge fan of like Scott Franklin and all these guys who kind of like paved the way for American sport climbing. Yeah, American certainly. Climbing. Yeah. They yeah. were Boone speed. I was always mm-hmm. a huge fan of Boone speed and definitely ran, uh, Randy Levitt as well. And so I was like thumbing through, you know, nineties climbing magazines and just mm-hmm. like anybody's name who came up more than a couple of times, you know, I was like, oh, they must be cool. You know, right. had posters of them on my wall and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, Tommy really stands out definitely growing up and my dad and some of his peers were huge too. Um, but yeah, otherwise, you know, more recently I, I have made some really great friends and, um, I think there's like a bit of a misnomer that like pros only kind of climb with pros kind of thing. Sure. And, and certainly like I consider myself friends with 90% of the pro community, which is great because they're good people. Um, but, but a lot of my friends are, you know, just people, a lot of people I climb with most often are just like good friends of mine. Um, and, and that community and that vibe really inspires me. And I really like that. I've never been driven by like competitive energy. It it doesn't do good for me. I, you know, it just, uh, kind of get bums me out. And so I've always been excited to surround myself with peers and, and that whole energy of like, you know, just cool people going out to climb, enjoying one another's company, no competition, no, you know, like any of that kind of stuff. That's like what's really inspirational for me, I guess, nowadays. Um, and there are definitely some some pros that I get along with really, really well and I climb with frequently. Um, but yeah, for the most part, my inspirations now are just from like my community and uh, definitely from my supporters too. I mean, the whole like, concept of having fans and having people who look up to you and these kind of things, that's all really new to me. And it's really inspirational because I was the same way. I mean, I was so psyched. I had posters all over my room of, you know, like all these characters, Dave Graham, Joe Kinder, you know, Chris Linder, all these dudes crushing. And, uh, you know, to think that I could be hanging on, you know, some kid's wall somewhere. And when he wakes up in the morning and gets stoked to go to the gym, he's like, (laughs) yeah, dude, I want to do that. That's awesome to me. I could, that's like the coolest thing ever. So, um, that's really inspirational as well too. Definitely my supporters and my fans, I guess. But right. yeah. Well, you, your public image or, or, or the thing that comes across, you know, is that you're like this climber through and through, you know, like, <laughs> which I think probably is fairly accurate, at least at the moment. But what else are you into besides climbing? Like, what does your downtime look like? You know, where is your mind going when it's not thinking about climbing? Yeah. Um, friends, I'm super social. I hang out all the time. Mm -hmm. I would say that music is huge for me. I would say that like without hesitation that climbing and music are like my two biggest, two things that I'm most interested in. Uh Um, And so I go to a lot of concerts and um, I listen to a lot of live music and I also just, you know, troll the internet for new music and and listen to music a lot um, and kind of, you know, follow along with a lot of the artists that I listen to and that kind of stuff. So that's big for me. Definitely. Mm -hmm. 
I, I have music playing. Anyone who's ever lived with me knows that I have music playing or headphones on pretty much all day. Um, so that's huge for me. And then I also think, um, you know, I do a lot of mountain running and trail running with my dog, Zeke. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love spending time with him. And he's like, you know, my road buddy. And so we spend a lot of time together hanging out and just hiking and, and running and stuff like that. You know, I watch movies. I do a little bit of reading, but I could do more. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, climbing is is a big part of my life. I would say between friends and music and climbing and my dog, that pretty much wraps it up. It, you're you're at a moment in your career where I think you're probably pretty focused on that. So yeah, yeah, yeah I am definitely. It, it, it consumes you. So do you think you know with the the mountain running? I've always been curious about sort of cross training. Yeah. It, does it? Is it a benefit to your climbing or Man. Is it, does it detract somehow? Like, no, I, I, and you know, I'm always hesitant to say this because mm-hmm. I feel like I'm going to, I'm like giving up a secret ingredient or something, right. but cardiovascular fitness, like cardiovascular health and fitness is huge. Like people ask me for advice on like how to train or whatever. Mm-hmm. And of course it depends on what your goals are. You know, right. if you want to be a better boulder or you want to do one arm pull-ups or whatever, you know, don't go on a run, but for root climbing, for fitness and endurance and stamina, you know, for climbing like super resistant type stuff, like I think that's a huge asset for me. Right. And and I grew up doing mountain bike racing and running and all these things. And so if I have any, I never felt like I had an inherent ability to rock climb. And people hate me when I say that, but it's absolutely true. I've worked so hard to be able to climb as hard as I do. But if I do have any like talent or whatever you want to call it something that like is inherent or you're predisposed predisposed whatever you started it's cardiovascular ability i mean it's like it comes really easily to me um it's it's easy for me to train i enjoy training it and uh just pumping blood and and breathing hard is something i really do well with and um that's benefited my climbing dramatically Mm -hmm. i would say and then the whole climbing thing has been a long time coming, man. I mean, developing strength and power and those kind of things I have to work very hard at. Um, but as far as like being able to hang on a long time or go on a long run or pace at a certain pace or whatever, that's something that I can do off the couch pretty easily. So um, I try and use that advantage to, you know, really help my climbing. And I try and use training methods and stuff like that, that I can kind of fall back on that. Um, while also training my weaknesses too. But yeah, I mean, it's a secret ingredient, I swear. I mean, I'm, everyone's different, right? right? But man, if you want to work on your fitness, if you want to improve your fitness or you want to improve your stamina in sport climbing, I would say just keep doing what you're doing climbing-wise, but add you know three hour-long runs to your week and it'll improve dramatically. Wow, that's... That's probably the reason I've been broken into 514, I think. So, <laughs> yeah. thanks. Yeah, no problem. I don't think I'll probably be able to do that. So you're going to get that and baked goods, and you're good to go. Right on. <laughs> what about planking? Planking. I've started planking, so. <clears throat> I love watching people plank in the gym. Because I, like... I always come into the, the weight room or whatever. I was training a lot last December in Boulder, and there was a few people who were stoked on planking. And mm-hmm. I would always come in and be like, man, you're trying so hard, and it really doesn't look that hard. And then I tried it a yeah. couple of days, and I was like, okay, this is hard. Well, there's a great five-second <laughs> five video out there on the internet on planking. If you Google five-second five second movies or five-second films, yeah. and they have one on planking. It's pretty hilarious. I just saw last night, Anson Fogel showed it to me. So check that out. But yeah, the planking's all the rage, and I've, I'm, I'm in. 
because Alex Honnold told me to be in. Oh, dude. I do whatever he tells me. Yeah, to I do now. too. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. So you're spending the winter in, uh, in Vegas and um, you got any sort of goals this year that you can give us a sneak peek on? Um, without letting the cat out of the bag? Well, I'll just, uh, I normally, I, I'm like, I put so much pressure on myself. Right. I, I normally keep my goals pretty sure, secret sure. because it's just like, I, I've learned that as soon as the community knows what my goals are, it's just the pressure is overwhelming right. because, uh, you know, I love all the support and everything. I would just say that, you know, for me, my, my primary goals is definitely to continue doing what I'm doing and like establishing new roots in America. That's mm-hmm. huge for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where a lot of my drive is. I'd like to take my bouldering game to the next level, which is something that I have never focused on. I mean, I boulder so rarely, but I'm in a cool location now, Vegas. There's a lot of cool bouldering nearby and I'd like to boulder into some grades that I never have before. Um, that will always take a backseat to doing new routes. But if I have the opportunity, I would like to do some more boulders. Um, and aside from that, travel a lot, meet more people. I mean, keep making a contribution and, uh, and then definitely look forward to fall season at the Donwall again. That's awesome. I'm really <laughs> stoked that you're into new routing because I see so many, uh, especially sport climbers that, you know, that <clears throat> never, they never quite get into that or the, mm-hmm. the workload probably sort of shuts them <clears throat> down, you know, and they spend all their time repeating routes, getting right yeah. up to, it's almost like they, they have too long a bucket list and yeah. they never arrive at like, totally. There's always one more route they want to repeat. There's one more great climb that's, that, that they want to do. And it's only a, a few people that ever, end up, I mean, putting up 90% of the roots. So totally. it's it's great that somebody who's right up there climbing as hard as you are is putting up new roots because every generation needs those roots out there to, you know, to focus on to get them to the next level. So, right, yeah. you know, well, Andrew Bishernat and I talked about how that has to happen. Yeah. You know, the reason kids seem like they can, you know, climb 13 plus off the couch is because there's lots of 13 pluses to try. Yeah. You know, so. Good point you're putting up roots in the next level for the next generation to warm up on. So yeah, congratulations exactly. Thank on that, you. So. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and on that note, I do want to say quickly, like it's, you know, I went to, I went to France last spring and it was an incredible experience. It's my first climbing trip to Europe. I'd been traveling in Europe a number of times, but it was my first climbing trip there. And the climbing was exceptional and I was so inspired and it was really cool, especially all the history in the Verdun and in Seyus and stuff. But it just, if anything, it just encouraged me to, they have such an incredible legacy there. And we do too. I mean, we have these amazing places like Smith Rock, like the VRG, like Eldo, you know, all these old school places that have tons of history and like big legacy as far as hard roots go. But I, it really inspired me to be here more, honestly, and do more, try and really contribute to what we have going on here. Because I, I don't think, I think that the common conception is that um, the, the rock here is tapped and, and it's like, oh, let's just go to Spain, but there's plenty to do here. You just got to get dirty and tired and, and bust your ass a little bit. But I, I'm really excited about, uh, kind of the frontier that still exists in America. And, um, I, I definitely found that that's the most meaningful thing to me is to like make something happen here, you know? So that's something I want to continue to do. And, um, it looks like I'll be doing a lot of that this year, hopefully. So I'm like, I'm psyched. Well, awesome. Well, thanks for your work on that because it's a, it's a, you know, it's not easy to put those roots up. And uh, thanks a ton for giving uh, giving us a little bit of your time here at the trade show. I know it's it's uh, valuable time for you. Yeah, no worries, man. So 
super enjoyable. So yeah. Thanks, Jonathan. Yeah. Thanks, man. All right, folks, that's it. Jonathan Segrist. Always nice to meet a guy who's such a badass, but also so approachable, humble, just a really nice, sweet guy. So yeah, episode 33 in the bag. I can't believe what this thing has become and is becoming. That's all thanks to you guys, the fans, people downloading, listening, giving me suggestions. I do appreciate all that. Keep them coming. You can reach me at chris at enormalcast.com. And remember that the website exists out there at normalcast.com. And on that website is the help out tab. So go check that out. Click on it. There's a bunch of suggestions of how you can easily, with a little bit of time, help out the show. And thanks again to the sponsors. No, I'm not quitting my day job just yet. But every little bit helps. And it's just nice to have affirmation that people want to be involved with the show. So thanks a lot. Get out there as soon as it warms up. Please warm up. Please warm up soon here in Colorado. And when you do get out there, as usual, please go ahead and check your knot. And frankly, remember, if you're going to go sport climbing, make sure you know what's going to happen when you get to that anchor with your belayer. I just read about another, yet another accident where somebody thought they were going to get lowered. The person took them off belay and boom, they went down. So that's, I mean, that's pretty fundamental. Know what's going to happen when you get to that anchor, please. All right. Until next time, have fun, take some chances, but make sure you got those fundamentals covered. That Hansel's so hot right now. I dig the bungee. I mean, for me, it's just the way I live my life. I grip it and I rip it. I live with a lot of flair. I live it on the edge where I gotta be. I care desperately about what I do. Do I know what product I'm selling? No. Do I know what I'm doing today? No. But I'm here and I'm gonna give it my best shot.